always got pixelexia, okay? This all on you? This all on your cow? Welcome, foolish mortals. It is with deepest pride and greatest pleasure that we welcome you tonight. The reference here is very obscure. Welcome to the Obscure World of Disney. You're listening to the Obscure Disney Podcast. It's our belief that no detail is too small, no character cameo too short, and no quirk too strange to be celebrated. And with new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, why not get an annual pass wherever you get your podcast from or find us at ObscureDisneyPodcast.com. And see all of our fun patches at DisneyPatch.com. We're talking about legends today. You're taking us back legendary legendary children back to the legendary halls of disney legends yeah uh and this one is very topical because disney just released a documentary about this person on disney plus they totally did uh i i always do this too where i'm like "Ooh, it's a secret surprise but it's in the title they already know i'm talking about how i know no point to be vague at all right i do have to say it's two of my favorite words on earth Disney and documentaries. Oh, I thought you were saying Howard and Ashman. Oh. I was like, it's an odd favorite word. I didn't even know I liked Howard Ashman until uh, this documentary. I had no idea how much I liked him. It's very interesting that uh, he is so influential and so important to the Disney Renaissance. And yet somehow um, his name kind of gets shuffled around a bit. And the super uber Disney fans, we all know who Howard Ashman is. Howard Ashman and Alan Menken are names that are synonymous with a lot of iconic Disney music. It is true. You do name drop them frequently, and I cannot remember who these are. <laughs> what I loved is uh, a few years back when we were at Epcot and they were doing the Disney Broadway series in Epcot. Yeah. Uh, and Heidi Blickenstaff said, oh... I know that we all love Howard Ashman and Alan Menken and the crowd would cheer. And she's like, I love that there are so many Disney nerds here that we can all know who that is and be excited about it. I totally forgot that. Yeah. Way over my head. Right over your head. Right to the American (laughs) Pavilion. Right up. (laughs) Bounced right off the American Pavilion. (laughs) Hit me in the back of the head. (laughs) That is true. She did say that. And it's very true. It is. Uh, What's interesting about it is um, the time period when Howard Ashman was brought into the Disney company was potentially the end of Disney animation as we knew it. Yeah, come to find out that we found out in the documentary, they had moved animation into a couple of trailers down the street in Glendale. Right. They kicked the animators out of the animation buildings built specifically for them by Walt Disney. How absolutely offensive. Uh, that's and I what guess they said the truth too. is, <laughs> I guess the truth is, in today's world, they've done it again, right? Yeah. They've essentially killed well, the entire animation not department. It's anymore. Yeah. Um, but you're literally, unlike Dopey Drive. Yeah. You are there on Dopey Drive and Snow White Built Way. Built by animation. Built by animation. And they've moved you to some, I guess it's a changing world. It is. And this is what happens, though, is you look at Disney through the 80s uh, and you have a very rocky period for animation. They are spending a lot of money on making animated films. Animated films are expensive anyway. They're ludicrous in what the concept is. Right. <laughs> uh so they're spending hand-drawn 23 frames per second yeah 
crazy. Yeah. Uh, they're spending a ton of money uh, and a ton of time making all of these animated films that are not performing as well as they would like them to at the box office. Um, and uh, when you, I was watching uh, a behind the scenes of the little mermaid and they were saying it's unthinkable, but they were talking about just shutting down animation altogether. Yeah. Which is ironic because they have now shut down Disney animation altogether. But back then you would think, okay, they just made, um, the great mouse detective and the black cauldron and people are thinking these aren't very good right because we found this same problem we were trying to go through the years uh the disney movies year by year yeah we get through the first like five or six that are legendary the golden era and then there's nothing for decades yeah right it gets real rocky in there especially after walt died that's they, a very good point they had a hard time with animation for a good long time um, and then uh, you have the story of Howard Ashman running alongside it where he has an, a mammoth hit with Little Shop of Horrors. Which blows me away too because I saw the movie when I was a kid. Yeah. Didn't li- necessarily love it. Not really my thing. Sure. But you and I have seen it live in live productions of it now. Yeah. At least three or four times now. Yes. And loved every single version of them. They're, it's a fun show to see live. Especially because they always come out around uh, Halloween time. Yeah. Oh, phenomenal. Very different, by the way, just as a heads up. Very different than the film, just so you know. His version of the film as well? Uh, well, because in the film version, uh, we kind of have a happy ending. And spoiler alert, the stage version does not have a happy ending. Oh. Do you not even remember? I remember you telling me this just last year because we just went to go see it. <laughs> and the plant eats everybody. Yeah, yeah. In the end of the stage musical, the plant takes over um, and everybody dies. There you go. Uh, in the movie version, they said that was too bleak. And so they changed it up. Uh, but he had this mammoth hit with uh, Little Shop. And it was the guy from um, the um, eight, or the um, block. Well, I'm sorry. The Ghostbusters, right? Oh, was that not right? Rick Moranis, totally him. Yeah, like I totally thought he was still, um, uh, you know, possessed by demons of some sort. Uh, possibly, basically was. Yeah. Uh, and then he tried to do another show, which is called Smile, which ironically has a song in it called Disneyland. Ah. Oh. Um, and it didn't do as well, and he was feeling a little bit dejected and a little sad about it. And that's when Disney cropped up and said, hey, we would love for you to come and work for us. That's crazy. And I will be so bold as to say that Howard Ashman saved Disney in the 80s. I was thinking that same thing, that he really feels like the architect of the Renaissance. He is. He is. He is the one that basically changed how Disney was doing their animation and made it into something that was profitable and memorable and all around just changed the whole course of the Disney history. So he wasn't a director or writer though, was he? I mean, he was a writer, but, but not accredited to the three big shows. Um, he was accredited as a lyricist. Mm-hmm. He and Alan Menken together wrote the music, the music for um, the little mermaid Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. Yeah. 
um, which most people will say is the beginning and peak of Disney Renaissance. Completely true. Um, obviously, you have like the Lion King and things that are also incredible, but they wouldn't have gotten there without those other three. Right. Yeah. They would have still been in a trailer somewhere. They would have. Been. How do you even animate in a trailer? But, <laughs> but as a lyricist, obviously the music is what makes up a lot of that show and is like the backbone of all three of those shows. Right. Um, but they were even giving him credit for storylines and directions the movie was going in. Right. Well, the great thing apparently about Howard Ashman is that he had an opinion about everything. <laughs> so, uh, when they said, well, we're not sure what we're doing with this part, he would say, well, I would do this. Um, one of the main things, uh, that they talk about is, um, in the little mermaid, he was doing the music, uh, iconic music that everybody knows. And they were talking about a couple scenes that they didn't know how to move from one point to the next. Mm. Uh, and Howard Ashman actually suggested the part where Sebastian the crab is trying to coach Ariel on how to flirt. You oh. got to bat your eyes like this. That was Howard Ashman's suggestion. And that he had a Jamaican flair. Uh, he did suggest that he be jamaican yeah and i don't think disney was thinking about that at all yeah uh and then he also changed the end of the little mermaid uh if you remember king triton when he decides to let ariel go and yeah. changes her into a human originally there was no dialogue there it was all just put it through through animation and the faces and things uh-huh and howard said i don't think you need to be afraid to vocalize it and so he suggested that king triton say there's only one problem left how much i'm going to miss her and Aww. everybody loves that line Aww, that's uh, a good line and that's the great thing about him apparently is that he was a fount of ideas all the time he was never middling on anything he always had a strong opinion which i think sometimes you need in those situations yeah and Ursula herself, right? Didn't they change the direction? Was he part of that? He Well, he was writing music for her. And originally they said they wanted her to be like a Joan Collins mm. type thing. Uh, but when he came in and was looking at their concept art for Ursula, he saw the one based on Divine. Yeah. And he said, oh, no, that's the one. That's <laughs> the one you want to do. Which really, when you look at the storyboards next to each other, the fact that that ended up in a Disney movie at all, like now it just feels so natural. Right. But you're just like, yeah, that's a character that they never would have gone with in that no, direction. No, Originally. It, but it feels so fitting for an octopus. Right. <laughs> just kind of slinky and odd. And yeah. yeah, she's such a, she's such a, no pun intended, well-rounded character. Yeah. Where she has a very clear motivation and she doesn't do anything stupid. Sometimes the Disney villains have to be kind of flawed oh, uh -huh. and do things that are just not normally what it, they, I, a person would do. Ursula does everything in her power to do what she wants. Yeah, and without body language, I don't know where I'd be in this world. Ha! <laughs> uh, yeah. Use she, your body language. Um, and then uh, he obviously helped out with Beauty and the Beast. Um, Beauty and the Beast has a really tumultuous, as all movies do, uh, building process. They went through multiple rewrites on Beauty and the Beast. Wow. Um, 
changing characters, changing story, changing everything. Um, and again, the music in Beauty and the Beast is so iconic that you can play just parts of it. Yeah. And people are like, oh, I love this song. Oh, so true. Well, all three of them are that way. Oh, yeah. For Completely sure. True. All three movies. That's amazing, though. And they did talk about with Beauty and the Beast that the opening scene, the opening monologue, musical overture of yeah. sorts mm-hmm. is six minutes long. Is that true? It's, yeah, it's a six minute song at the beginning. Yeah. Wow. But the great thing about it is that everybody knows it. Yeah. Like everyone sings along with that song. Bonjour. You know, it's it's iconic. It's and the, beautiful. The thing about Alan Menken that I really appreciated is that he pushed them to structure their shows more like a musical. Yeah. Uh, whereas the music is benefactory to the story and moves things forward. It's very important. Uh-huh. Um, and you see that in all three of those movies specifically. Um, it's it's a musical theater type of show that he basically put into an animated show yeah and they talk about that in the documentary quite a bit too that he said it's the new place for musicals to be written um, right. is in animation yeah that it, they can't really do him in broadway and so this is a perfect place for it and so yeah he totally did and he insisted on casting the singer actors to play the parts too uh when you listen to uh any of these movies the character actors come through in such a way right that uh they just built amazing characters and who is the voice of bell is it that uh, same Paige o'hara was the voice of bell had we seen her in anything any videos or behind the scenes or anything that i can think of uh i mean if you watch behind the scenes stuff of beauty and the beast i guarantee you'll see her because who was it that did the voice of Ariel? And did she do another character? Jody Benson did the voice of Ariel. And she was in a production. He was She was in Smile. Previously with, with him. With him. Mm. Um, you can see her, though. She is in the movie Enchanted. Uh, she is uh, his assistant in the office. Ah, That's Jody Benson. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. She made it to the live screen. She did, finally. <laughs> All these years later. Watching her do the recording sessions for Ariel mm-hmm. was, it gave me chills. Yeah. It just was, yeah. Well, her voice is so pure and pretty. And then to see a, a actor-singer portray emotion through their songs is always impressive to me. Very much. Oh, beautiful. Super beautiful. They didn't we didn't get to talk much about Aladdin at all, right? Uh yeah. He had he had some to do with Aladdin. Um, but at that point in his life he was very ill. Yeah. Uh and um I think this is the thing that Disney doesn't talk about a lot with Howard Ashman, um, is that he had AIDS and was in the process of dealing with AIDS all through all three films unbelievable which is it's so impressive to watch somebody's commitment to their art uh when he was willing to go and do that and then be at home on machines for the rest of the evening to keep himself as healthy as possible 
Yeah, and how incredible is it that Disney, whoever did the documentary, I'm thinking it was Disney, but they released it on Disney Plus. Yeah. And like, that's pretty good because it's an adult oriented film, uh, not oriented, but it's not like a kid's film. The, the documentary. documentary, right? Yeah. It's very much not for kids um, necessarily, right? Like a kid's not going to enjoy it. I, you wouldn't. En- I don't think a kid would enjoy it because I think we pointed out that it has maybe 10 minutes of actual video footage and the rest of it is done through archival photos. Oh, that's a very good point. Plus, I mean, what kid's watching a documentary? You. Other than me. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I didn't watch the uh, movies as they were coming out. I was too busy with my docs. Yeah, <laughs> that's the problem. Um, it is a very, it's a very heavy subject. Um, and it's one that, especially during the time period, people were not comfortable with talking about. Uh, and so I think this is the reason that Howard Ashman doesn't always get the credit he deserves. So much so that when it popped up on Disney Plus, I had zero idea what I was clicking on. Which I found fascinating because I had heard that they were putting the documentary Howard on Disney Plus. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that'll be interesting to watch. The ending's going to be terrible, but, you know, I will watch it. And then you clicked on Howard. And I was like, oh. We're watching it now? We're watching it. And no. then you had no idea how the story was going to end up. And I had no idea. Here's what surprised me the most about it. I could not believe that the same person or the same team wrote all three of those movies. Right. That just seems... Un- and I likened it to uh, the Sherman Brothers that was the original group of folks that wrote all of the original movies. Right. It was a very much that kind of a thing. Um, and I think that is... It's... It's so it's so important to have the best of the best, but also to find out what your audience loves and produce that to the best of your ability. And I think Disney fans have shown year after year that the music is something that everybody wants and connects to. Uh, even if you don't necessarily love the whole movie, you love music from the movie. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't particularly care for uh, Pocahontas. It's not my favorite Disney movie, but you can't find a person that doesn't like Colors of the Wind. Right. Uh, you know, even if you don't, if you don't necessarily like Disney movies, I guarantee you like the Disney music still. Well, and that's again what we started, what we got with Frozen again was the music is what helped make that movie so iconic too yeah. as well. I think the music is what, pushed that movie to be as big as it was yeah i can't even imagine like little mermaid as without the music yeah i don't know if it's even watchable without the music right which is a really fascinating thing um jeffrey katzenberg who was in charge of animation at the time uh wanted to cut part of your world out of the little mermaid he said it was boring and it slowed the movie down and he didn't want it in there and howard ashman said Absolutely not. You were not cutting that out of there. <laughs> and Glenn Keane, the animator of Ariel said, you can't, you can't cut that out. I've, I've almost done the entire animation. And like you said, 24 pr- frames a second. Yeah. 24 drawings per second for that long of a song. And it is an iconic moment when she gets up on that rock and the water splashes up behind oh, her. Oh, right? so good. It is in 
every live production we've seen now. It's in like, like it's, it's one of those chills moments that you have to have. It's completely true. It is too bad that he didn't see the remakes of the movies and the Broadway versions of the movies and everything else that lived on too. Oh, can you even imagine how excited he would be to see his shows on Broadway that way? Yeah. Oh, it kills me. Oh. Yeah. It's the the documentary, like we said, is definitely probably not for children. Uh maybe slightly older children. But um as adults, we definitely enjoyed it. Um and it is a look into not just Disney history, but history of a extremely talented person who deserves recognition for all the work he did. And look, anytime you want to talk to me about an off, 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 off Broadway production house. Oh my God. I'm in. <laughs> that was the coolest thing where they just found a rundown building and literally turned it into a theater. Oh, New York, the eighties or nineties, whatever it was. It was the eighties for mm-hmm. sure. But that was the era of like when New York just had, empty buildings abundant yeah right crazy it's it's a very entertaining very interesting look at howard ashman and his rescuing of disney animation uh so if it's something that you're interested in i would recommend howard what would you give it a grade do you give documentaries a grade uh yes i do and it's on a completely different scale but yeah yeah, i i found it incredible yeah and now i concretely remember and know who howard ashman is you can't forget him now can't forget him now and, and so we shouldn't job, job well done because the same thing the sherman brothers i didn't know who they were until we watched their documentary right disney history is important for not just for being a fan but for also appreciating the amount of work and the lives of people that went into creating media that we all grew up and appreciate Plus, it feels like he wrote that song for Heidi Blickenstaff, right? Um, Poor Unfortunate Souls. Yeah, totally true. <laughs> well, he wrote it for the voice actress of Ursula, but it Heidi Blickenstaff knocks it out of the park every it time. It feels like they wrote for her. <laughs> but it's like I always say, don't underestimate the importance of a body language. Follow my perfectly sculpted two-fingered point to the exit. If you enjoyed today's podcast, rate, review us on your favorite podcast app. And if you didn't, help us do better by buying a patch at DisneyPatch.com. Always be proud of what makes you unique. And we'll see you next time on the Obscure Disney Podcast.